From the Aleuts at Kizar to the glory days at the stick. From who's got it better than us to brick by brick. It's always the 49ers way from off season to game day. Yeah, we talk back. It's the 49ers cut back. It's 49ers Cutback Podcast time. Welcome to the show. We're going to be talking about the 49ers offensive depth chart. Alex, a full breakdown into the positions, uh, how they look going into training camp, how this thing uh, looks. I'm excited about it. I'm I'm pumped about it, Ant. I'm I'm extremely excited about it. And uh, uh, Chad, I apologize. I I didn't have you going. That's that's on me. My my bad, Chad. Hey, hey, TCC, how you doing? Uh, But look, this is going to be a lot of fun because we are talking 49ers offense and breaking down the depth chart and I'm going to be laughing slightly at uh, CBS and ESPN and their depth chart, but that's beside the point because it yeah. is is pretty bad. It's it's pretty it's pretty bad. They're not doing too hot, but we're doing just fine over here. So make sure you hit that like and subscribe button if you haven't already, and that notification bell. And then let's jump into offensive depth chart breakdown and and talking about specific things. And let's start with first and foremost the quarterback position because. What, what, what are you thinking here in terms of the Niners' offensive depth chart? A lot of places have Trey Lance, QB1, Jimmy, quarterback two, and then so on and so forth with those other two schmucks over there, Brock Purdy and uh, Nate Sudfeld. How are you feeling about that? Is it a good list there? Are you feeling good about that breakdown there from other places? Well, considering CBS just had uh, Jimmy Garoppolo as the number one backup quarterback in the entire league. That's fair. Uh, over, over Baker Mayfield, as it would be. Yikes. Um, I, I think right now with Jimmy Garoppolo co- currently being on the roster, you have to consider him a part of this depth chart. And so right now I think it is Trey Lance 1, Jimmy Garoppolo 2, Nate Sudfeld 3, and then Brock Purdy four. I don't know sure, if you disagree sure. with me, but that's kind of how I'm I'm seeing it right now. And I'm thinking that potentially um, at some point, Nate Sudfeld will become two if they move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. I would agree with you on that, Ant. Um, look, I think the reality is, is that this is the Trey Lance era. This is Trey Lance's time. Jimmy is the backup right now. If he can't move off of Jimmy Garoppolo, then... At least for camp, you're going to let him compete with Trey. Maybe he doesn't get as much of a chance, but you got to give him a fair shake to win the job because if you don't, that, that locker room is going to turn on itself and, and there's going to be some upset upset players back and forth because Jimmy has been a leader for this team and has led them out of the doldrums. We've heard from Armstead talking about this and he's brought this up and mentioned this, yeah. what Jimmy has meant to this team, what he got them out of, what he helped them climb out of, you know, the doldrums of the early Shanahan eras and how bad that football team was. So there was a lot of respect for Jimmy Garoppolo in this locker room. That being said, you made the pick last year for Trey Lance for this specific reason. Trey is one, Jimmy's two, Suddy is three, Purdy is four. And even if you move off of Jimmy Garoppolo, Purdy is on the practice squad. It's my feeling, but that's just me. Yeah. And you know, that's the one thing we'll get into the projected 53 man roster right before training camp. I know that's always a fun one. Cause we get to kind of go into what our projections are. Are they right? No, but you're hoping to be as right as possible, as you said on on John Chapman, or as it was said, you only have to be 50% right as a content creator, right? Uh, And we're usually a little bit more than 50% on that particular topic. It doesn't mean all the topics. I don't want people coming at us being like, you were dead wrong on this. We have been wrong on on things. That that, that has happened. A couple times. That that has happened. It it happened. We've also been wildly right on things we had no business being right on, so... Special teams touchdown against Green Bay to win. Call not not maybe not to win, but you call the game changing <laughs> play, and there were two of them in that game. I'm just saying we have gotten some things right over here. There you go. Um, you so know. you're right though, not to win, but to make a 
big point in winning I mean, the football game. Yes. Both of those plays <laughs> changing and helped them with the football game. Just saying, Ant was right on it. Yeah. I, I, that was the second time you were right on special teams. Special though. teams twice. Second time. Uh, they did not let me down, so no. hopefully we don't have in, to worry in about other, that. In other games, yes. In the, other games, yes. The two yes. bold prediction games, no. no. <laughs> so what have we learned? What we've actually learned is that while that's bold, it's actually a, a truth-telling, it's a fortune-telling segment, especially when special teams are involved. Yeah, I, th I think that's right, and that's why special teams is only involved a few times. Accurate. Yeah. Uh, accurate. It's it's only it's about less than one-third of the actual podcast. It's true. It's we, we we do not get into the Wild West Bolt special team very often. No, no, not typically. But I, I don't think it's very bold where we're at with the quarterbacks, though. Uh, I mean, bold Trey, about Jimmy, Sudfeld, and then Purdy, I think it just makes the most sense right now. Of course, once Jimmy is moved, or if he is moved, then it, it changes accordingly. Uh, very, very accurate, Anta. Very much the case. And look, I think the reality is, with, with this whole situation, this was the... The only logical way it could possibly go right now yeah. because the, the Niners made the move that they made. You gave it the capital that you gave. You came up to get this kid specifically because, number one, if he had waited one more year and come out in this last draft, he would have been one of the first players off the board, and he was going to be easily the best quarterback in this draft. That's not even close. Uh, so you get him a year early before he's, you know, maybe a little more polished and comes out, and you let him get polished on your bench behind a top 15 quarterback in the league and then uh, you move off of top 15 said quarterback and into a guy that you believe can be a top two or three quarterback in the league yeah it's a better situation for the 49ers i mean they had him in the system for a full year i mean that gives him a head start you know if he was drafted this year it would have been completely different he wouldn't have an understanding of the offense understanding for what it takes to play in the nfl Accurate. so trey lance is better off for sitting a year behind jimmy garoppolo and the fact that he did get his feet wet with a couple of games it definitely goes to help his development a lot you know that's right, Ant. You know that's right indeed. And look, let's let's move on to the offensive line next. Something I just got done talking about with John Chapman. If you missed that, you can go check that yeah, out check after it this. It's good. But now we can talk about offensive depth chart breakdown because I, I made some some bold claims over there, Ant, about Holy cow, the offensive did. line. And and I, I listen, I, I I made those bold claims because I don't know what else to think about this right. online. It's it's really hard to understand where they're coming from. If you trust CBS, and then Donovan West is the starting center for the San Francisco 49ers. I don't trust CBS. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Um, and then when you look at ESPN, they got Jake Brendel and Donovan West. That's the one-two punch they have for them. They don't have Keaton Sutherland anywhere in that conversation. In fact, most places either don't list Keaton Sutherland or put him at the guard spot. There's the Daniel Brunskill aspect to that as well. There is the, the question mark surrounding what is Justin Skill to this team now? He was supposed to be the swing tackle option for them last year. He gets hurt, not available. Is he still? Is that still the plan for Skill? Have they moved on from that plan by drafting some of the guys that they've drafted? Is is Colton McKivitz a viable option to start? Horse had brought this up when we we had him on earlier in the in the in, you know in this preseason offseason aspect of the, of the coming 2022 season. Yeah, and he was teasing this idea of Colton McKivitz being able to start at the left guard spot over Banks. What are you feeling on this? Because I in a, in a crazy world had a situation where you have Nick Zakelj and Spencer Burford not on the 49ers roster, and if Justin Skill returns to form and Colton McKivitz continues to develop and get closer to the guy the Niners coaches have believed, is is that a possibility? Well, we know that I'm a huge fan of Nick Zakel and Spencer Burford. That you are. Uh, but I will say this. There's absolutely no way Burford doesn't make this team. Burford is going to be on this roster, and I'm high on Zakel. I think out of the two, Zakel would be the one that's closer 
uh, to not making this team, but I do believe both will make it. I think Justin Skule is going to be in the mix for that swing tackle spot. I think he's going to have to go in there and compete, but we've already seen the 49ers be willing to cut a Colton McKivitz. I think they'd be willing to cut a Justin Skule. I think they're high on him, but I don't think they're higher on him than they were on a fourth round pick like they were Spencer Burford. Nick Zakel, sixth round pick. Justin Skule, sixth round pick. True. Same value, but I think they do see a lot of value in uh, what Nick Zakel can do. It was interesting statements. I, I realized where you were going with it because you said, you know, Skule, uh, Colton McKivitz. Uh, it were two guys that you were interested in keeping a lot of veteran, you know, ability there. And then Jalen Moore, who's a young guy. I'm sure they're not ready to move off yet. No way. Here's the big question is whether they're going to keep eight offensive linemen or nine. I think that is where you cut somebody that you ultimately don't want to cut. They have to keep 11 defensive linemen, but I think there could be a way that you could keep a nine offensive lineman and make sure you can keep a lot of this young depth. Now we know Trent Williams is going to make this team, right? Yep. We know that Daniel Brunskill is going to be on the team. Mike McGlinchey, Aaron Banks, those four are dead set. And I would think Jake Brendel, as long as he wins the center spot, is secured on the team. The question is after that. And I, I don't think you were like, you know, crazy out of the, you know, bonkersville. <laughs> but I think when it comes down to it, you've got to think that Burford being a fourth round pick is a tremendous amount of value to move off of in his first year without really giving him an opportunity because I do believe that he could be the eventual replacement for Mike McGlinchey. I would agree with you on this. This is this yeah. is a hundred percent an area I agree <laughs> with you on this, which is why it was so hard. I had them tiered a specific way, and, and the reason why I have Burford just slightly underneath is he's on my spreadsheet, he's in an orange category. Orange meaning danger. Danger. Um, yellow category mean questionable to make set roster. On the questionable category, you have Jake Brendel, you have uh, Justin Skule, you have Colton McKivitz. You have those three guys highlighted in yellow, and then you have Seth Burford in this danger zone, as it may be, and uh, glorious Top Gun reference. But uh, danger zone, because there, there is a reality in which Colton McKivitz was the guy they turned to last year at the end of the season to be the guy to help them get into the playoffs, right, make that push. If he continues to develop, they, they trust that. They know he's a guy that they can turn to in big moments and big situations and he can get the job done. If Justin Skule returns to form and, and is the guy that they can rely on to be the swing tackle, that puts Burford in a bad spot. It does. It really does put him in a spot where you have to do something. You have to show something. But I think he has. I think that's why they took him where they took him in the draft. And it now opens the door for that ninth offensive lineman, keeping that ninth guy around and, and not going a different direction in this. And John asked me, you know, hey, wh where would you want to go? Where wh What positions could you let go? And I gave him two positions, and the one I threw out was safety. But the position I should have actually brought up was tight end. Because if you are moving away from two tight end sets, and you don't need a bunch of tight ends on the roster anymore because you have Kyle Juszczyk who could, in theory, play a, a flex tight end kind of H-back slot out there and, and take, take some snaps and some reps off. You have Jawan Jennings. You can go three wide receiver sets and have yeah. the additional blocker out there in space. That's not the end of the world. Maybe they only keep two tight ends, and that opens the door there in that aspect to keep another offensive lineman. Do you think the Niners would want to do that, and is that the route they go, especially if – if Spencer Burford and Nick Sakelge start making a real push and making Colton McKivitz and, and Justin Skule sweat a little bit in their spots, maybe maybe get a little worried, a little shaky in the boots, do the Niners sit there and go, hey, maybe our best option is nine guys and and you know, let's roll with nine guys, including a mix of some some veteran guys and some young guys and see what we got. Yeah, I mean, I think that you're you're gonna have to find places along this roster to be able to cut because of the strength of the defensive line. Accurate. I think that's when it comes down to it. I mean, most defensive line you would keep ten, 
you would, you know, move on and have plenty of, you know, spots for this offensive line that you want to keep, you know, all the running backs, all the tight ends. It's an interesting topic that you bring up about the tight ends and keeping too. I don't think they would have went out and signed as many as they signed if they weren't willing to keep three. I do think they want to keep three. Kyle Shannon loves to go to three tight end sets, you know, when he's got in the goal line situation, is short yardage. He also uh, has got a new running uh, game coordinator, you know, and, and Forrester's going to want to go big at times too. That's what he did in Miami. That's kind of his staple. So I think that when it comes down to it, they're probably going to keep three tight ends. But I do like where you're going with it, where you're looking for spots, running back, you know, tight end, looking for places where you can trim to keep this excellent D-line. The question is, could we fit five offensive linemen, uh, I mean, three offensive linemen behind the five starters and get it to eight? Uh, I think one way to do it, Alex, what would you think about this? If they kept, let's say, Trent Williams, Aaron Banks, uh, uh, Brendel, Brunskill, McGlinchey. Let's say that's the starting five. Okay. And then you keep Jalen Moore, you keep Spencer Burford, and you keep Nick Zakel. Uh, I think if you went with that group, that would be a possibility. That would mean that you're cu- you're cutting Colton McKivitz again, mm-hmm. which I'm sure would be very difficult. That's why I'd prefer nine guys. Uh, and then you'd be cutting Skule as well, but I believe Skule could make it to your practice squad. I would agree. See, that's the yeah. one thing that I would agree with you on, and this is why... Yeah, it's he's yellow on my spreadsheet because I think as of right now he has the heads up, but I could easily see Burford or even Zakel is just sliding on in past up him because he's coming off of an Achilles injury. Yeah, usually that first year back, you are not the same version of yourself that you once were. It takes that additional year, and if that's the case, um, yeah, you could see a, a not fully healthy, not 100%, not the best version of Skule. And that could put him in a situation where he could slide easily onto your practice squad. Do you think Colton McKivitz could get off the get to the practice squad two years in a row? Uh, it's a possibility. I mean, if you've done it once, right, you could get there again. True. I think in a perfect world, uh, that you have so much versatility there with Colton McKivitz, him being able to play guard and tackle and play left and right side. You would True. like him True. to be one of those guys. That's why I'm I'm kind of hesitant about cutting a guy like Nick Zakel where they've seen so much versatility in him and talked about his versatility, whether that's him playing guard and tackle or him potentially even having the center ability as well. You don't really want to move on from guys like that. And you probably don't have to keep a backup center. For instance, if Daniel Brunskill ends up winning the right guard spot, he could always slide to center in case you have an injury to Brindle. So I think that it's interesting, this offensive line. I think it's going to go even more conversation. And for all the people that have been over on Patreon and channel members as well, they probably have already watched Slightly Offsides. Me and Horse went through the line in detail and talked about it as well. It's one of those things that's going to keep uh, us you know, struggling to get through. And I think the only way it's going to be determined is when we actually get to camp, they get on the field, and they start getting after it. Because there's a lot of moving parts. And we know what we've got with Jalen Moore and Aaron Banks now. We've seen the improvement. We've heard the coaches talk about them. But we still don't know all the way what we have with a Spencer Burford and a Nick Zakel. You don't. Know, there's question marks at plenty on, on the offensive line. And it's going to be very interesting. It's been very funny to watch uh, ESPN and all these other places rank their guys and put these guys in different spots. Uh, from Colton McKibben starting at left guard on both ESPN and CBS. And to Donovan West being the starter over on CBS. Uh, Zick, Nick Sakel is being the backup right tackle and, and uh, Jalen Moore being the backup left tackle uh, for the 49ers on ESPN. A lot of these places are trying to figure out what the Niners are going to be doing with this offensive line and these pieces. That's the nice thing about utility and having guys who are flexible keep everybody on their toes. Yeah, Everyone. and especially the way the 49ers move tackles inside. True. Uh, developing these guys to be able to play inside, they already have an understanding of how to play outside. So as long as they can tr- transition into playing guard, it gives you a lot of versatility with this line. And they've done it with Jalen Moore already. We heard Matt Mayoko say early in the offseason that he had continued his transition to guard. So that would 
mean that that's probably where they see him playing this year, but he could always go back outside to right tackle. He practiced a bunch last year at tackle. So I think having those guys together gives you probably the most versatility at any. That means you do move on from a couple of guys, but uh, I think the 49ers would like to keep nine, but let's see if they can work it out as far as roster goes. And trimming an area is going to happen. They're going to trim somewhere. You are talking places I still believe it's going to be wide receiver. I think they're going to go with five wide receivers, put two of these wide receivers on the practice squad if something happens, elevate one. But I think that's the easiest place because those five guys that are up there are pretty solid. Uh, you are not wrong there, and it would feel that that is the route the Niners would go. We'll see, though. Um, Paul, you are not, you're not wrong here, Big Papa. Having choices is a lot better than not having choices. Yeah, I think also Paul said, I'm glad I don't have to make this decision. You don't have to make the decision, and it's also good to have the, the bunch of decisions that you then ultimately don't have to make. Yeah. Uh, Big Papa is accurate, and as accurate as accurate can be. Uh, you're not wrong, my guy. <laughs> yeah, you're you're welcome for that one, Paul. Uh, let's move on to the fullbacks at the fullback room. Um, Do we have to? It's easy, right? It's it's perfect exactly yeah. as is with Kyle Juszczyk and Josh Hawkins on the practice squad. Yeah, I think it is. And I think the only thing that could throw a wrinkle into this depth chart is Jason Poe. If all of a sudden Jason Poe's not an offensive lineman, if he's all of a sudden a fullback, he could go in there and challenge Hawkins. But Hawkins is actually a very good backup. I mean, he he's one of those guys. Mm-hmm. He, he blocks. He plays with leverage as being a great collegiate wrestler. He's one of those guys that could have been a big-time collegiate wrestler if he had went somewhere else. But he wanted to go to Fresno State to be able to, uh, you know, go out and play football as well. Thank John Chapman for his breakdown. That's where I learned a lot about Josh Ockett. It's true. So if you haven't checked out his 90-player uh, breakdown, go check that out because he does have some cool information about that. So, uh, But I do like Hockett. But let's just be honest. There's absolutely no way this guy makes the roster nope. as long as Kyle Juszczyk is is healthy and uh, fullback one. Uh, agreed with you there. And so let's shift our attention to the, to the tight end room. Let's, let's, go, let's go tight ends. Oof. Let's go tight ends because... This, this, I don't know if this will be contentious. Maybe this is contentious for people. I, I don't know. I feel this is pretty simple for me. Um, the reality is, is that George Kittle is your tight end one. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. It's yeah. something you can take to the bank, cash a check twice in one day, Ant, and the, the bank is going to accept both checkings of the same check because of how great the check is. Wow, that that's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 so great, Ant, that you can check cash it as many times as you want, and the bank will continue to just like accept it because it's, it's George Kittle. I'm going to order some George Kittle checks. Just now. order George yeah. Kittle. They will keep. I'm just Don't do that, TCC. That, <laughs> that won't work out in your favor. Uh, look, there's, there's Kittle. There's Charlie Warner. You have Ross Willie. You have Tyler Croft. Uh, you have as well Jordan Matthews. Who is the other gentleman? His name uh, always escapes me. Troy Fumagalli. There we go. Troy Fumagalli. Uh, Troy, I apologize. Uh, I, I'm just not. I'm not oh, there. and Tanner Hudson. And Tanner Hudson. I forgot about Tanner Hudson. Yeah. Look at that. Fumagalli and Tanner Hudson. So you have a lot of names yeah. in the tight end room. And I think you were right. I think it's one of those things where you don't bring in all these guys unless you want to keep three. But I could also see a situation where they're not that high on Charlie Warner, Ross Dwelly. They are not sure what Tyler Croft is. And so maybe they're just trying to breed competition by having a lot of guys in there. Um, but the reality is, is Kittle's your tight end one. As of right now, I, I, I don't know how I feel about the rest of the room. I know I feel slightly better than I did last year just because Ross Dwelly is not anywhere near being tight end two category. Right. So I feel good about the competition brewing between Warner, between Croft, I mean, I guess Dwelly's going to get an opportunity, right, to show that he could be the guy again. I would imagine they're going to give you know Jordan Matthews a run in that spot. Um, but I feel better about the competition behind Kittle than I think I have in years past. But I'm still not sold that the tight end room is exactly what it needs to be yet. I think it's an interesting room, and I, I, we're going to get into this in way more detail uh, next week. Uh, we're going to get we're going to do a live about it. It's going to be one of our position battles that we actually do live on. 
um, because there's just so many players that are involved in it. But I think when it comes to the depth chart right now, of course, with Warney, Warn, Warney, <laughs> Warner and Dwelly together, I put them together to make Warney. That's smart. Uh, yeah, I, I think that both of them have to be considered in your top four tight ends at least. You know, as far as the depth chart goes, I would even say that you have them probably as one, two, three right now because Croft has to come in and earn a spot from one of the other two. If you're talking about talent-wise, I believe Croft would be ahead of Ross Dwelly. I think Warner would be in there, and then you'd have Tyler Croft as well. I think those are the top four guys. And then the other guys are all are trying to earn it, right? You have uh, Fumagalli, who's been with the Denver Broncos. He's been with the, the Patriots, who plays without the finger. He doesn't mm-hmm. have the index finger, mm-hmm. but he's one of those guys that if he can stay healthy, he's a tough player. He's a third-round pick out of Wisconsin, You know, a really good individual player. And then you have, of course, Tanner Hudson, who played with Tampa Bay, was part of the 49ers practice squad last year. So he has an understanding of how to play, you know, with uh, the quarterback, Trey Lance. And then you have the the Jordan Matthews is the one of the most interesting players on the entire roster because you have the wide receiver skills, but with him putting on the weight to play tight end. And I think the big question with him is, can you block inline? If if he's able to be an inline blocker, he affords the 49ers a lot of ability because you can put him out there with George Kittle and you have two legitimate threats in the wide rec- or in the in the receiving game. And then if he's able to block, then you don't have to always think that's all he's going to do. So he's very interesting to me. I think out of the guys that the 49ers have brought in, uh, I think that I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say that, you know, they got a, a few guys that could start. So this is going to be a, a battle. But I think Croft might be the one that's ultimately uh, the most ready right now to be considered in that top three. I would agree with you on this. Um, I, I think the reality is I think Croft is the next most talented tight end behind George Kittle, like you like you brought up and mentioned. Um, but yeah, you've got to come in and earn it with this group and, and demonstrate that you fit in the scheme in terms of what your role is going to be and what you're going to be doing. Um, you know, I, I think you did a, a, an even better thing and by blending Charlie Warner and Ross Dwelly together because if they were matched <laughs> up like that, then you might have the, the second best tight end and everything that Kyle Shanahan's been looking for in tight end two behind George Kittle. The reality is, is that you haven't had that yet. You're hoping Croft can assert himself into that role, so that way you can just make the make the decision to go with a Warner or make a decision to go with a Dwelly. Although I don't think there's any world in which Dwelly can beat out Charlie Warner at this point. I think Charlie Warner has established himself as the the blocking tight end behind George Kittle. And if there's one thing that's important to San Francisco, it's the run game, and that gives Warner a head up, a heads up in that category. The only question will just be: Is Jordan Matthews developed enough as a blocking tight end in line and? Has he done enough and has he sh- can he show enough in this training camp to make himself a viable option? Because I don't think there's any world in which I believe that he can't be a better receiving option than Charlie Warner. Yeah, no, uh, you're right. I mean, as far as receiving options go, uh, Jordan Matthews, Tyler Croft, uh, Fumagalli, I think all of them, even maybe even Hudson, are better options than Charlie Warner as far as receiving game. Warner's calling card is the blocking. You know, and that's where he's going to be superior to a lot of them. He's better than Hudson. He's better than Fumagalli. Uh, he's better than Ross Dwelly. He's better than Jordan Matthews. That's his way to make the team. And so I think the 49ers know what these tight ends are. And I think they're looking for guys who are more well-rounded. If if uh, Charlie Warner during the offseason developed as a pass catcher and a, and a route runner, then potentially he's, you know, can solidify himself as tight end too. But I think Tyler Croft is an interesting guy because he's coming in. He's got that 6'6 frame, 250 pounds, blocks pretty good, is a legitimate receiver as a tight end. To me, he's one of the most complete tight ends we have behind George Kittle. So I'm excited about him being added to this room. I think he might be hard to keep out of the starting three spots. He's going to be tough, and we got a $2 super chat here from Bobo as well. Shout out to Bobo and for the $2 super chat. Do you guys think we'll have an MVP candidate? I do. I think his name is Trent Williams. 
Yeah, you know what? If they would give MVPs to linemen, Trent Williams would have to be considered one of them because he was the best player in football last year, and he just plays offensive line. A lot of times when it comes to MVP, it has to be a receiver. Uh, we know that it's hard for Debo Samuel to get put into that conversation, even though he should have last year the way he handled everything. It, if Trey, It's always usually the, the quarterback. So True. accurate. If Trey Lance had himself a big year, and some of the numbers that we've seen put out there, Alex, if he had a year like that, he would be considered in that conversation. So uh, maybe I, I, we awesome. might have it depending on how the season goes on offense for Trey Lance. Uh, very true. And shout out to Warren. Happy belated, sir. Happy belated birthday. What's up, fellas? And hi, Jess. I hope you hope you're doing good, Warren. And yeah, look, what's up, Warren? I think uh, I think the reality is is that with the, with the 49ers in the tight end room in and of itself. You have specific things that you're looking for, and, and you know what you have in George Kittle. You have one of the, the greatest in football, one of the best in the game at the position in all aspects of what you need a tight end to do. You have the same thing at the offensive line at the tackle position. You're hoping that Trey Lance can be that at the quarterback position. And, Ant, what about the wide receiver room? Because, yes, Debo Samuel is the do-it-all threat, but can Brandon Ayuk continue to ascend? And then what does the rest of the wide receiver group fill out behind I think you and I have our five. We have yeah. our five that we're really we're ready right now to crown these five and go into the season and not worry about it. I don't think there is a competition at this this position. I think I think this is the only position going into camp where I am sure that the five names that we are high on right now are the five names that are coming out and being on the fifty three man roster going into the season. Yeah, I think barring injury, I think you said it right. You know, I, that's the only case. Thank you. That's the only case you could see, you know, somebody supplanting one of these top five guys. And the top five guys, of course, are Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Jawan Jennings, Danny Gray, and uh, Ray Ray McLeod. Oh, almost forgot Ray Almost Ray. forgot the guy who, wears four, who uh, might wear 14. I think there could be a question about how these guys are slotted behind Debo and Brandon Ayuk. Everyone always wants to talk about who's the third wide receiver. If we just want to talk about third wide receiver as far as you know, percentage of snaps. I think it would be Jawan Jennings next because Jawan Jennings is going to be out there on third downs and he's going to be out there blocking. Uh, so I think that could happen. And then I think the other uh, thing you will talk about probably after that is Danny Gray. He's going to want to be taking the top off the defense. They're going to want him out there. So I think he would be considered your fourth uh, wide receiver and then Ray Ray McLeod. So I think those are the five. And then after that, it gets real interesting because there's a lot of wide receivers that could potentially be the sixth wide receiver and i put it in parentheses because i think wide receivers probably going to be one of those places they need to go ahead and cut in a spot keep a couple guys on the practice squad so that way they can keep more defensive linemen agreed and shout out to Luis for becoming the newest member of the cutback crew man we appreciate oh, yeah. What's that up, Luis? thank you for the subscription um but you're right i mean that those are the five those are the names and then after that yeah i think there's competition there actually for that sixth spot um you know is it a guy like malik turner is it marcus johnson Keyshawn? Johnson, uh, Austin Mack, Tay Martin, Tay Sear Mack. I don't know. I haven't seen enough of these guys. Yeah. The only one that I know that I've seen any bit of anything on, like that I vividly remember, is Keyshawn Johnson because he played with Arizona for a little bit and and did some things. Now, the last time the Niners brought in a an Arizona wide receiver, Ant, Trent his name was Trent Sherfield. Yeah. He ended up doing some some nice things for San Francisco, especially in the special teams game. So who knows? The problem is is that the five names that we've already named. Those guys are all going to have an impact on the offense first. Like, that's their first priority. Like, the first number one thing they're going to have a big impact on is that. And then there's going to be some things in the special teams game that Raymer McLeod can add, that B.A. may add as well. Uh, Juwan Jennings may add into the yep. fray as well. I mean, John Lynch has talked about that with Juwan Jennings. Like, you need to be a dog on special teams as much as on offense. So there are guys who can do both those things right now. 
I don't know about the rest of that wide receiving core. And if they do decide to keep a sixth spot, it would actually kind of surprise me. Yeah, it would surprise me too. And I think at that point, it would have to be someone with a special trait. I actually talked with Chapman last week about the sixth wide receiver mm-hmm. spot. And the guy that I was the most intrigued about was Marcus Johnson because he had 439 speed. Yep. Having another really fast guy, I think would make a lot of sense for the 49ers. He could help on special teams as well. Uh, but you have other guys as well that are special teams known. And you brought up Keyshawn Johnson. That is, he played in the playoffs last year as a special teams guy. True. So I think that there's potential for some of these guys to make it. But I don't know how they're going to make it over the five guys we talked about. And the 49ers don't normally rotate more than five wide receivers during a football game. So I think you would have to have something special. That's why Marcus Johnson stood out to me as somebody that could do it. I know the young guys look really good, right? They're really long. Um, they have some ability. They fight hard. I just don't see Tay Martin or Taysier Mack being able to crack this roster. They could be practice squad guys. But this is not the same roster that Kendrick Bourne, for instance, would have been playing on. If Bourne would have been a part of this, he probably wouldn't have made the initial 53-man roster. That's no slide on him. That's just how talented the 49ers have turned this roster into. Correct. It's, they've continued to build. They've yeah. gotten good and then gotten, well, I guess, gooder is the right word, better. We'll just go with gooder. I'm just going to go with gooder. gooder. Don't, don't make fun of me, chat. <laughs> Knock it off. Don't laugh. I like um, gooder. But look, Juwan Jennings is the perfect example of that, mm-hmm. right? A little more sizey guy, not the top end speed. Now, I, I want to say, I don't want to put Tay Martin and Taysier Mack in the same category of speed as Juwan Jennings. I'm not, not going to do that to them quite yet. you got a chance to prove me wrong in training camp, you two. Um, but the size-wise, they, they do have that aspect, that similar sort of thing that Juwan Jennings has. But he had to sit. He had to mold he had to be molded he had to grow he had to develop he had to learn what he needed to do in this system what his role and the expectation was for him um that's the same sort of thing we could see for a tay martin and a taysier mac is practice squad take some time get there um in a shocking turn of events ant you you really like the wide receiver with the with the top end skill set and the 439 speed i'm absolutely stunned that you love yourself a player ant with with an intangible skill set that can't be taught yeah, usually I do, right? I mean, that's the way to go. That's your thing. Yeah, it is. Find an elite trait that exactly. you can build on because really you're not a complete player, right? No. Most of these guys aren't a complete player, so they need something special about them. That's what drew me initially to Danny Gray mm-hmm. was he had an elite trait that I felt there was a foundation to build on. Then you get into his route running, and it's pretty good. Uh, so you so. think that he can do a lot of things in the offense, not just take the top off. I know that's what the conversation often is. Uh, but he can do so much more than that. And then Malik Turner, we got to keep him in the conversation because he's had over 500 snaps in the last three years on True. special teams, True. which means that the 49ers decide they need to go that way. Special teams, maybe coach Snyder's like, Hey, I need this guy. Maybe the 49ers find a way to keep him on the roster. It's n- probably not going to happen, but you never want to just throw it out as a possibility. So Malik Turner, someone to, to con- continue to keep him a, a monitor on, but, uh, a lot of people are already putting him in a six spot. I just don't see it. I think it's going to be five guys. I would agree with you. I think five guys is the key. I think five guys makes the most sense. And I think five guys allows you to, to be deeper at other positions. Because I think those five guys make you very deep already at the wide receiver spot. If you go a six guy, yes, you're even deeper. But I feel there's a significant drop off between five and six. And you know what? Let's just cap it at five. Uh, and if we have to go to somebody else, then you can make that decision at a later time. Yeah, because you know out of the guys that they have, they can get at least two of these guys to the practice squad. Uh, probably a young, one young guy, one veteran. Also, Emmanuel Sanders is still on the market. He is. So if something were to happen, you could always go make that signing. I mean, there's 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 a lot of really good players out there. I'm just saying. Julio Jones is on and, the open and market. And Will Fuller also. Um, Will Fuller, talk about elite traits. He's got ridiculous speed. speed. on speed, so... 
Yeah, he, he's so fast. He makes Danny Gray look kind of fast. Does that mean John Ross is still available too? No, I think he got signed. Did he really? I think he did. Wow, that would break my heart. I think he did get signed. I thought Fuller would go before it. I got. I thought Fuller would go before him, but uh, it's nice to see that there's a lot of speed still out there, a lot of ability. I don't look for the 49ers to bring in a high-priced guy. Of course, they would have the financial ability to do so, um, but so far, uh, I I just don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to bring anyone in. True. It looks like he's a giant still in. Oh, really? I thought he was a free agent. I thought he was too, but I think they may have resigned him. Oh wow! I'll have to I'll have to try and pull and see. We'll just, we'll, we'll just have to see. We'll have to see what happens. Here. It's okay. I guess I'll just I guess I'll just live without uh, my hopes of John Ross finally playing. It, for well, the I mean, Kyle Shanahan will also be in the same boat. It's you <laughs> wishing that John Ross could end up in San Francisco or be a 49er and it's just not happening for some reason and just never never working out the way he wants it to. Uh, look, I, I think it's interesting with the with the 49ers in the wide receiver position. I think they have a lot of uh, a lot of things they can do there, but I think the five guys they have allow them flexibility throughout the rest of their roster to be able to do a host of different things. And we'll see. We'll see if they decide to go that route and, and just stick with the five and not have a sixth, or if they decide to pull a trigger on the sixth, and that may mean problems for the O-line. It may mean problems on the D-line. There's going to be some positions there, Ant, where they cut in other areas. Uh, maybe they feel that you know, the best players, their best chances of, of being able to be competitive in all three phases of the game is to keep that sixth wide receiver I doubt it. I will press X to doubt all day long. But now let's move to the running back room, which I think is the most contentious <laughs> room of this whole thing, Ant, because there are your, you have your Trey Sermon stands of the world. You have your people who love Jordan Mason. You have people who aren't high on Jeff Wilson. You have people who love Jeff Wilson. You have people who are already in love with Tyrion Davis-Price. You got your Elijah Mitchell stands of the world. There's a lot of ways to construct this running back room. It's uh, Elijah Mitchell is one. It's not. I mean, that's not. Uh, the, there's no question about that. No, I agree 100. percent But everything after that is intriguing because there's a lot of different ways for them to go about compiling this roster. But I, I think the reality is is that you probably seeing the end of the Jamichael Hasty reign in San Francisco this upcoming season. Yeah, barring injury once again. I True. mean, I think that is a way. And the running back room is always interesting because injuries seem to happen. And when injuries happen. You know, then you like to have that extra guy. And in this case, they have a couple extra guys, right? You have the Jermichael Hasty ability to play as a third down back. You have Jordan Mason, a guy that a lot of people are really coming along to. The fact he's got the big body and he's able to do the things that he does. Uh, Lou is already chanting Mason, Mason, Mason. I'm going to stick. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm going to kind of stick to where I've been all along the way. I have Elijah Mitchell as number one. I think TDP and Trey Sermon are battling it out for two. And if you watch our training camp battles video, you know how we think that one's going to go and how those guys are going to be used. If you haven't seen that already, go go check that out. It's a good video. And then I think then after that, it's Jeff Wilson Jr. versus Jamichael Hasty for the third down back. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, where Jordan Mason's going to have to battle TDP you know, and uh, Trey Sermon, I think Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to be in the, the third down back role this year. He's a versatile guy. He can do it all. And I think having a guy that can do it all is better than having a guy like Jamichael Hasty that's kind of pigeonholed into that third down back role where you could put Jeff Wilson in there, but then if you need somebody to take big carries in the middle of the game, he can go do it. And I think that's what separates him from a Jamichael Hasty. So then I think you have a more complete running back room with Jeff Wilson Jr. as a third down back than you would with Jamichael Hasty being that guy. I would agree with you on that. Look, I, I think the Niners have set themselves up in, I would say, almost all the positions. All the positions that were problems last year, they are stronger this year and, and deeper than, than I think I've ever seen them in San Francisco. 
Um, you know, I, the O-line was a, a, a strength last year for the 49ers, and this year it feels like it's taken a step back, but we don't actually know if that's the case. The cornerback room was questionable last year, and this year is deeper than I've seen it in, during the Kyle Shanahan era. The wide receiver room um, felt thin last year because Brandon Ayuk wasn't a, a mainstay early on in the season, um, and it looked stronger than it ever has, and the running back room was depleted by injury and felt like it was on its last legs pretty much from week one till week 18. It just yeah. felt like it just didn't have enough there weren't enough horses in in the in the stalls ready to get out of the gates and help carry this backfield. And this year, it feels like there's too many. It feels like there's too many options. There's too many things. How in the world are they going to be able to figure out the you know the best the best core and the best group? And you know, we, we I've joked and, and we've talked about this a little bit. We talked about this in that sermon in that sermon video in the sermon v TDP video in terms of training camp battles. Is could the Niners actually decide to keep only three of these guys? And, you know, add up and stock up in other places because of how talented those guys are. And if Jordan Mason does elevate and, and shows he could be a, a reliable running back, then they could sneak him onto the practice squad and go a different direction. But that would mean potentially having to move on from Sermon and or trading Sermon or cutting Sermon. And that is a risk in and of itself, because if you let the guy walk and don't get anything back for him, that's kind of a net loss for you, especially if he goes off and does well somewhere else. Yeah, and you know, Lou is asking, can you guys please explain your love for Sermon? What has he done to warn it? I actually don't love Sermon at all. No, none of uh, that. Zero, very, zero love. very clear that did not feel he fit the system when he was drafted. They're trying to turn him into a guy, you know, that can play the system. They've seen something in him. Just when it comes down to it right now, we haven't seen Jordan Mason play any snaps in the NFL at all. We haven't seen him play in training camp, nothing. So it's just tempering expectations. I there's a there's a perfect possibility that Jordan Mason could go in there and outplay Trey Sermon, and I would be perfectly okay with that. It's actually a great thing. If it, that it, it would be great. I think when it comes down to it, though, we have to look at Sermon the same way. We've seen him play against Green Bay, so we have a little bit of an understanding of who he is and his development from what we saw at training camp to what we saw during the season. Was it marginal? Yes, but there was a little bit of change from preseason all the way through. So you have to go on what you see. And right now, we just haven't seen Jordan Mason. When we get to camp, if we see Jordan Mason tearing it up, I'm going to come on here and I'm going to tell you, Jordan Mason's tearing it up. Jordan Mason could beat out Trey Sermon. I'll do that. Um, but right now, you just don't know. So until then, I think going into training camp, he's the sixth guy on the depth chart. It doesn't mean that a week into training camp, we won't feel that he's not one of the top three or top four guys, uh, but we have to wait until we see it. And I haven't seen or read anything that makes me think that's where he's at already. Uh, no, I, I would agree with you. You just don't know. And, and you know, this is a great question, Freddie McTray. Who could we trade Sermon for and, and for what? Who could we trade him to and for what? Um, I don't know. Uh, the reality is, is that you need a, a team that's going to run a little bit more of a, of a zone look. Maybe Chicago. They do run a lot of gun with Justin Fields out there. They play together at Ohio State. There's familiarity there, so maybe that combination, that tandem, would work. But the the problem is, is they have themselves a, a pretty stout backfield back there, and some running backs that they trust and rely on. But with the Tariq Cohen injury uh, and him not being healthy, and the rumors were they wanted to re-sign him, especially if he, he was healthy and passed his physical, maybe Sermon would be a possibility and an option there. The problem is, is that you're not going to get what you what you what you paid for Sermon. You're not no. getting that back in return. Now, if Jordan Mason is the guy who's beating him out for that roster spot, then it doesn't matter because you're taking a third round pick that you missed on, getting some sort of draft pick back, and you've hit on an undrafted free agent. Um, you're fine. You're you're going to walk away from that in a net positive situation there, but that has to happen. Like that has to be the thing that actually plays out and occurs. If it doesn't occur, if Jordan Mason's not the guy, and you move on for Trey Sermon, and, and Jordan Mason's just a practice squad player, that could end up being a net negative if, if Mason doesn't ever pan out. 
Yeah, I mean, with with, with Sermon, it, it, you don't know what his market's going to be. The one thing no. I do know is we're going to see a lot of him in the preseason. He's going to get a lot of carries. I don't think we're going to see Elijah Mitchell much. I think we're going to see a lot of Trey Sermon, a lot of TDP. Uh, I don't think we'll see that much Jeff Wilson Jr. I think it's going to be Jordan Mason and those other two, and I think that's where the real battle's going to happen, and we'll see what happens with Trey Sermon. If he plays well but not well enough to make the team, then potentially the Foreigners could get like Baymax at a fifth round pick for him or something like that. Mm. Right now, I would think it's going to be at most a seventh round pick. I just don't think there's a lot of value there. There could be a team that values him and we'll see what happens. Um, we know that the Seattle Seahawks often like to pick up 49ers players, but I can't see the 49ers being a willing trade partner with the Seattle Seahawks for Trey Sermon. So in that regard, he would have to be released. So I don't know what that market's going to be, but I also don't know what Trey Sermon looks like right now. All I'm going off of is what I seen last year. That's probably not fair to Trey Sermon the same way it wouldn't be fair to Aaron Banks or Jalen Moore or Trey Lance, who everyone tells sure. me should be so much better. And I agree he should, but I got to afford Trey Sermon the same ability to get better as well. Agreed. You got you to give them the equal opportunities, right? Equal equal chances and to equal chances to, to make that proof and to... to show their work i guess is the right way to put it mm -hmm. uh warren here this is a great question it's not, or not it's just a great comment Shanahan piles up a lot of injuries at the running back position we should carry at least two running backs on the p squad the practice squad and he's right we should um and i think they want to i think ideally they would like to do that and i think they do have the names and the pieces that they could try and sneak there whether that's jordan mason and if he doesn't you know wow himself onto the active roster and potentially jamichael hasty because he was injured and missed some time last year and you know maybe People are high on a smaller third down running back and who can come in and is, you know, a really good pass catcher out of the backfield. But a lot of systems don't necessarily know how to utilize that aspect of a, of a running back um, coming out of the backfield or lining him out wide. Yeah. And I, I think when it comes to Jermichael Hasty, um, he kind of does pigeonhole you a little bit. I mean, yeah, he's one of those guys that makes a lot of plays, you know, as a pass catcher. We saw that right away. His first play in the NFL, they they motion him out to the slot, and he runs a slant and catches the ball. And we were like, oh, we got to keep this guy. I mean, yeah. he ended up getting hurt. You know, he was just a practice squad guy at the time. But I think he has that ability. The problems are he's not the best in pass protection. He's okay. Uh, he's not the best. But who would you rather have on the field, him or Elijah Mitchell? Him or George Kittle? You know what I mean? Like, you have some decisions to make there. Him or Ray Ray McLeod, you know, could Debo Samuel feel that third back, third down back role at some times uh, and match up with a linebacker out of the backfield? I think there's just some interesting things the 49ers could do, you know, with the versatility of other players that could make it harder for him. So keeping a guy like Jeff Wilson Jr., who's proven he can catch the ball in the backfield, might be the better route with him being also a three-down potential back. True. I just think that there's a little bit more ability there. Um, but I do like Jamichael Hasty. It's a hard, it's a hard move to make because we've been fans of him, you know, for for a while now. Ever since he first got into the league, it's too bad. But it looks like you know this roster is just getting so much better that players that you like are probably not going to make this roster. I think he's a bubble guy for sure. They're getting stronger. They're getting faster. <laughs> they're getting better. And it's not, it's not, you know, it makes it tough. That's why the lifespan for a typical player is you know three and a half, four years in the league. It's yeah. not. Guys aren't putting together 10-year, 20-year careers on the norm. That's not that's not what happens in the NFL. It rarely happens in most sports. Now, the NFL's lifespan is significantly shorter than a lot of the other the other major sports, Ant. 
Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, this, this game takes a toll on you, number one. Um, so you're not always the best version of yourself coming in every single year to a camp or practices or just whatever. Um, you, the, the training you're putting on your body in the offseason also does its number and takes some damage as well and takes its toll. Um, and then you're constantly getting replenished every year. There's a, a host of guys, a, a gaggle of guys and, and new prospects, as it may be, and coming in that either get drafted or even available as undrafted free agents. So the competition is always at its peak, if you're a back end of the roster guy or a guy who's just sneaking onto 53-man rosters, there's no guarantee the next year that you will be in the league. So if you're lucky enough to put together a career that lasts longer than four or five years, um, you're you're the exception. You're not you're not actually the typical player in the NFL. You're the exception to the rule. You're not the norm because most of the names in the NFL that you know are are the guys who have done something that most players don't do, which is carve out a long-lasting career that can span a decade. Uh, most guys are in and out in a snap. It's it's like college. You go in as a freshman, as a rookie, and then three years later, you're done. It, it's true. I mean, it, it comes and goes really fast, and that's mm-hmm. why these guys try to maximize their ability. And that's maximize why that value? Maximize the value. And David Campbell says any word on how McGlinchey is doing uh, right now, McGlinchey, from everything we've heard, is just on target. He's ahead of schedule to be back. We'll see what happens when he gets to training camp. Sure. But there was the one comment that I liked the most that came out was that if McGlinchey, if, if it would have been training camp instead of uh, OTAs, McGlinchey would have been able to go out there. I there think that's go. a good sign. Uh, we'll see, though. We won't know ultimately uh, until he gets out there. And I wonder if he'll be a full participant or if they're going to ease him in. I think they might be smart easing him in, easing Javon Kinlon, and just making sure those guys are healthy when we get into the season. We don't really need Mike McGlinchey proving what he can do in training camp. Let those reps go to, you know, Jalen Moore, Spencer Burford, you know, uh, Justin Skule. Those guys need those reps. McGlinchey, just knock the rust off, get out there, and get it done. Well, and I'm, I'm stunned. Mr. Corey and Bay Mack feeling <laughs> the same exact way about McGlinchey. I'm absolutely surprised by that. Psych? No, I'm not. You guys are consistent. And you're not liking of Mike McGlinchey, yeah. which is fun. Uh, look, I, I think I think the reality too with with McGlinchey Antis and with Javon Kinlaws, you may have a situation where they don't take they don't play in a single preseason game this year. Yeah, I mean it's it what's what's more important to the 49ers getting a better idea of what Mike McGlinchey and Javon Kinlaw look like with the starting group, or making sure that they're healthy for Week One. I think you'd rather have both of them out Week One playing than you know getting them some reps in the preseason and possibly doing some damage or just getting them out there just a little too soon yeah and the 49 station has a question it says 49ers cut back what do you think of the future is it beyond great and will we win a couple of rings with trey you better you better win a couple I, I, of I think... you better you were this close to winning a, a a couple of rings with jimmy garoppolo if you move off of jimmy to trey lance and don't win a few rings there are there is going to be answers. There, there are going to be questions and answers that you need to have. And if you don't have them and you don't get this close ever again, this could be the this could be the be three or four years from now, we could be talking about this being the beginning of the end of the Kyle Shanahan era in San Francisco if you don't get close to being back where you just were. Yeah, I think they need to win one. I think that's at least important. one. At least win one. one. If you win one, it validates the pick. It validates trading up to three. Mm-hmm. Everything you needed to do because that has been what has been so elusive. And not just during the Kyle Shanahan era, but all the way back. I mean, they haven't been in the Super Bowl and won one in over 30-plus years. So I think win one God, Super Bowl, that's the, most import- that's the most important thing is getting that one. But I do think the, the future's bright. I like what Agreed. Gary said either or earlier. The It's so bright, you need shades right now. I like it. Uh, I like the young players. I like what the 49ers are building here in San Francisco. So yeah, I'm excited about what they can do. Yeah, 49ers stations. The future is bright. 
Uh, the question is, is it bright because someone turned on a light or is it bright because of all the star power that's out there? We're going to find out. And, and I'm hoping it's it's the star power. I hope it's Trey is, is going to become a top five quarterback in the league. I hope it's the continual ascension of, of Trent Williams. I hope it's a healthy 49ers roster. And, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan flexing that genius muscle of his in, in the, on the offensive end. Yeah, and Warren says, how do you guys feel about Mohurst? Do you think he'll make the team, and will he find snaps? I think he will find snaps. I think he will make the team. A healthy Mohurst is going to make this football team. I don't think he can't. Well, what's what's very interesting is that is coming up in our in our position True, battles as is. well. Uh, Mohurst versus that's, Kevin Givens. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow's yeah. episode. You'll get all the answers you need about that battle. Warren, how much did we pay you for that? <laughs> uh, Warren is a Michigan fan, so that's oh, why that he likes Mohurst so sense. much. That does make sense. But, yeah, I, I, that's one of those cool position battles. Um, Mo Hurst is a very talented player, and no one really got to see it last year because of the injuries. He was injured all the time, but his lateral movement quickness make him one of those players that could do a lot for this defensive line. And he's a guy that can play all three downs from interior defensive line position. The 49ers don't have many of those. They have guys who are two down players, but three down players are hard to come by. Mo Hurst is one of the, the better ones on the roster. Uh, agreed with you there. And uh, yeah, Warren, it'll be interesting to see what his role actually carves into and and if he stays healthy and what he could actually break out into, because he was of the between him and Arden Key, I actually expected him to be the guy that blew out, blew up a little bit last year and, and had himself a better season. But hey, uh, I'll take the Arden Key uh, doing what he did last year and let's get Mo Hurst doing some positive things this year. That'd be great for the 49ers. Carm Beer asked, uh, wish we or stated, wish we had kept Salvan Ahmed a few years, seasons ago. He could have easily locked up a roster spot over a guy like Jermichael Hasty, which, uh, Probably accurate. And to Salvan Ahmed was a guy that they did not want to have to do what they did with him, trying to move him to the practice squad. So they didn't think he would get there. And sure enough, they he didn't. Yeah, they made a decision between Hasty and Salvan Ahmed. They went to Michael Hasty. Ahmed ended up being a very talented player as well, you know, and somebody that made some plays in the NFL. I think both guys were good uh, in the system, and they just felt that maybe uh, Jermichael Hasty was a change of pace compared to the other guys they had on the team. Maybe Ahmed fit what the other guys did, but it would have been really nice to have both of those players actually. Oh when all the injuries started happening, including yeah. 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they just don't have enough spots. That's why the roster cuts and roster of 53-man building is so important to this team and uh, what ultimately your season looks like. Uh, extremely important, Ant, and that's why the Niners have, have taken the, the, the path that they have taken in terms of depth, making sure you have talent top to bottom at a lot of key spots, especially the spots that are the identity of your football team. Uh, the D-line, yes, your O-line. Yes, and a lot of people may not like the depth, but they have a lot of names and a lot of talented pieces on the O-line that they feel they can mold into something, and we're going to see. Um, this is going to be Chris For Coach Forrester's ultimate test, Ant. Ultimate test this year with the O-line because it's his O-line, these are his guys, and it's his running game at the end of the day. Yeah, it is. Uh, Chris Forrester is going to be putting this thing together. I'm interested to see how the run game looks with these running backs and then with the offensive line, the way he puts it. But how many times are we going to see big sets? How many times are we going to see wide open sets? You know, the, the give and take between Kyle Shannon and Chris Forster is going to be fun. But I do like Forster. I like his mindset. How much will Anthony Lynn have to be a part of that as well? Because we all know when Lynn is a part of a team, their running game takes off. Sure. Every time he gets somewhere, he ends up being top five all but one time in his career as a coach. So you expect the 49ers run game to spike in the right direction. And it was already going pretty darn good with uh, Mike McDaniel. So I'm curious what happens with this running back room and also just what happens with Forrester in the run game. Uh, you are not wrong. And I, I want to see. I want to see what it is. I want to see how much Anthony Lynn has has his fingers in the cookie jar, as it may be, that is the 49ers <laughs> run game. See how, how much of his fingerprints end up all over this thing. And 
see what it looks like this year because it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a blending of, of styles and, and scheme and philosophy and between Kyle Shanahan and what he wants to do, what Mike McDaniels just did this past season, what Anthony Lynn has done, and what Coach Forrester wants to do. There's going to be a lot of chefs in that kitchen and a lot of different things brewing, and we hope it's a, it's a good stew at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're hoping you put down, put all the right pieces together, you know, to make this thing work out. And, you know, Gabriel Clark is saying starts with the O-line makes me nervous. And that's been a lot of the comments that have been coming through on our videos has been, you know, concerns about the offensive line. Some people are concerned about Mike McGlinchey. Some are concerned about the entire right side. Some are concerned about the center position. Uh, I think that when it comes down to it, each one of those positions is a question mark that needs to be answered. And that's why training camp is going to be so much fun this year. When we get out there, we're going to be able to see all these position battles. But don't worry, we're going to be talking about those position battles all along the way because uh, there's more position battles that are going to be coming your way. Tons more position battles and tons more content, tons more videos, more slightly offsides, more hit or miss, more everything. And you get it all right here on 49ers Cutback, whether it's on YouTube, over on Patreon, which is the best way to support us, by the way. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but it is the best way to support this channel uh, because, you know, it's less less taken out from from the YouTube overlords and things of that nature, but over on Patreon, additional content for you. Uh, channel members here on YouTube, extra content, that same content as well. If you don't want to have to go over to a new platform, completely understand. And then also Spotify, traditional podcasts. You find all of this stuff here. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's tons more topics along the way. And, there's more questions that you have, TCC. Lay them on us because we'll take a few before we uh, sign off for the night. Yeah, if you have some questions, go ahead and populate chat. And I'm really excited about the content that we have coming up. There's a lot of cool conversations. So, I mean, if you are if you uh, enjoy uh, good content, this is your first time on the channel, you know, let us know what you think about everything, of course. Uh, give us a subscription if you think we've earned it. Uh, that would be really nice. It goes to help us. We've been pushing for, you know, 3,000 subs, so we'd be very appreciative of that. I am excited about the conversations that are coming up because there's still a lot of really good ones and that we're building towards training camp. And ultimately training camp is going to, is going to set the tone for the entire season. So I'm excited about it. It's very true. And David Campbell, you like Forrester's mindset. He likes his line set. Ayo. Oh, Ayo. well played Look by David while going, going into it. Yeah. Oh, I like so that. was solid. David. Yeah. It was absolutely solid. Uh, definitely the best thing I've seen in chat all day. That right there. Not anything else. <laughs> that one. That one. Yeah. 49ers Station is annoying because they found a way to do business like no other, and they would always do business like they do now. The Rams. The yeah. Rams, yes. Yeah. Those freaking, freaking Rams. It's, an, it's annoying. It's it's frustrating watching, uh, especially having watched our team right build this roster, build this roster specifically through the draft, You know, not selling the farm and selling the future in order to, to get that ring and getting so close twice and then watching a team right down the way and just throw away their future for it right now and it all all work out for them and we got the 199 super chat from jess uh from your number one fan Caden. how's it going Caden? i hope Shout you're out. you're doing well over and uh having a good day and i'm sure i'll see you later probably will yeah it's a good chance Good, good chance. It's a good chance. And Gary, you were not wrong. The quest for 3,000 subs is real, uh, really real. Have you guys just accepted Brendel as the starter, or are you guys paying for a treader like me, says Mr. Corey? Uh, I don't know, Mr. Corey. I, I don't think I've accepted that Brendel's just going to be the starter. I think he's the leader in the clubhouse. I've accepted that. Yeah, I've, I've accepted that he's at the forefront right there. You know, he's going to have to, He's someone's going to have to go in there and take that spot from him. But he's going to have to earn it just like everyone else. I think they're going to give the young guys some chances. And I think if Jalen Moore is at the level of Daniel Brunskill, they would consider moving Brunskill over if Agreed. he's a better option than Brendel. 
but we'll see what happens. And I, I think the prayers for, for Treader still could be answered. You never know what San Francisco 49ers are going to do, but it's all going to come down to how these guys are playing. And if Brendel's playing really well, there's no need for Treader, right? Uh, so I guess we just got to... If he's playing well, you're right. There is no need. Yeah, then you've Zero. got a cheaper option. You just got to trust Forrester, trust this offensive line coaching staff that they're going to be able to get these guys in the right spots. Um, but no, I haven't accepted that outright conclusion. Brendel is for sure stamp it. The center, I'm not there with it yet. No, I, I, it's going to take me a little bit to get there, Ant. Uh, and Jess, you asked earlier, why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. You're laughing. <laughs> No, I'm not laughing. Uh, 40 yards Fogey going with Sakelj. I, I get it. There's a lot of things to like about Sakelj. The coaching staff likes Sakelj. And who knows? Maybe that ends up being the sl- one of the sleeper guys. Although, John was throwing out Keaton Sutherland as a sleeper, and he just put him at 61. I know. He put him at 61. I haven't watched his breakdown yet, but I did see that the video is out of him being 61. 61st, I'm looking forward to watching he that. Had, he had some interesting things to say over there about Mr. Keaton Sutherland. And look, I, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I think it might be an under-the-radar sort of dark horse sort of competition battle to be looking at. He could sneak up on some folks, although if you ask ESPN, he's a guard. Yeah, so it doesn't I, matter. We'll, we'll see. And you know what? I I am interested to get out to training camp where we can see all the things that are going to happen. Oh, yeah. Guys get moved around. Will we finally see? Because, I mean, I know that was one thing you talked about with Chapman is that the guys aren't taking snaps right now, right? Yeah. Let's see if Nick Zakel starts taking snaps, if Spencer Burford takes any snaps. You know, what is happening with Sutherland? If he's still getting the second team snaps, it's all going to be interesting because right now Donovan West is the third uh, center amongst that group, but Donovan West has a lot of work to do as well. So it, it, it's going to be interesting as training camp goes through. And then when we get into games, who is playing what positions that will give us a, a better idea. And then we can have a more you know defined idea of who's going to make this roster and where they're going to make it. Very true. And Carson here just said it easy to trust in the development of our young players when their roster is so deep. That is very accurate and Bay Mac and with the most accurate thing he said today. This one is the most accurate. This country fell apart when the Niners stopped winning Super Bowls. <laughs> if we could prove a direct correlation, maybe they would help the 49ers win more Super Bowls. Uh, come on, Goodell. Yeah, Bay Mac just said it. You want to heal the ills of the world? San Francisco wins the Super Bowl in 2022. Yeah, That's and David Campbell says Lance mobility will help the line look good, unlike another quarterback I could mention. Uh, his Brock, mo- why would you say that about Brock? His Brady? mobility is definitely going to help. And, and one of the th- I did actually uh, comment on somebody's Somebody commented earlier about the offensive line, and I think one of the things to remember that's going to help this offensive line tremendously is the run game. Now, Mm -hmm. Trey Lance is going to have an effect on that run game, but the run game being better is going to help this offensive line who is run first. Everyone but Trent Williams. Trent Williams can do it all, but everyone else's run first you know, uh, abilities is what, you know, this team is built on. If they get it going, the play action pass will get, it will be there. If that gets there, then that means Trey Lance could take shots downfield, make it easier, but Less traditional pass sets for the 49ers offensive line is better for Trey Lance and better for this offense. Uh, yes, yes, uh, and yes. Just just, just absolutely yes. And running the ball effectively is going to help this O-line top to bottom, except for Trent Williams because Trent Williams needs no help because he's just an absolute godsend of a left tackle that we may never, ever see the likes of in San Francisco ever again. No, I mean, he could be the greatest uh, of offensive lineman of all time in San Francisco, he's still in let, his prime. let alone a first ballot Hall of Famer for the NFL Hall of Fame. So Nuts. I think he's one of those guys that's just a special player. And at some point, uh, he, he's going to be you know listed as, as the great player that he is. But 
to me, he just looks like he's trending in the right direction. He's not going anywhere. Uh, what, he's getting what, better. What do you mean? We paid too. We paid him too much. We paid him too much. People, money. people that said that are probably not. Uh, uh, is their foot how? It, it, yeah. The question isn't is their foot up their behind and or, you know coming out of their mouth is how long did it take to go up said behind and out their mouth? Yeah, that that was one I never really worried about was Trent no. Williams getting a lot of money because no. he's one of those guys that is going to go up there and work. Uh, he wants to win a championship. That's what his motivation is, and that's why he's putting in the work. And there's nobody like the Silverback. His second-level blocks are the best in business. And I, and I have been watching a little bit of Aaron Banks from preseason last year, by the way. He has some devastating blocks in preseason as well. So I'm interested to see what that left side looks like, especially with a, a new body, because it is profound watching him in preseason and then seeing the videos of him now in OTAs. His body has transformed tremendously. Yep. And he still weighs the same amount of weight. It is crazy. I'm excited about Aaron Banks. Shout out to Aaron Banks for completely transforming himself and into what he has now and, and doing it in a year. Um, he is taking it seriously. He's taking it to heart. He's taking it to task. And I'm looking forward to seeing how much that pays off for him and how it pays off for the left side of the line, which the Niners ran behind a, a good chunk of last year. And uh, hopefully we can do that again. Rinse and repeat that one more time. Look, TCC, I hope you enjoyed. We hope you enjoyed this 49ers offensive depth chart breakdown discussion, looking at all the positions, seeing how we feel and seeing if, you know, the names are kind of lining up across the board where we kind of feel they're going to be. And if you did, make sure you hit the like button, subscribe if you haven't already, and hit that notification bell because you got a great conversation tomorrow. You have a great conversation Wednesday and then a nice live Q&A on Thursday. Yeah, lots of content coming out. There's a, an episode pretty much every single day. Uh, if it's, you know, there's it's either 11 a.m. or live streams at 5 p.m. So sure. if you're looking for the daily video, it's going to be at 11. If it's a live stream, it's going to be at 5 p.m. Or special cases like today, 5.15. Alex was on with John Chapman, and that's always a good one. So if you didn't catch that episode, hop over to John Chapman's uh, YouTube channel and check out the 49ers Brunch podcast with Alex. If you have time and you didn't watch mine, watch last week's as well. Some good content. Chapman's doing a very good job with all the things that he's doing. Um, but there's good good content all week on this channel, so check it out. Make sure you check it all out as much as humanly possible. You don't want to miss any of it, and the best way is to make sure that you're not only subscribed, but that notification bell is rung, because then you get notified when videos are going live, and you can't miss them. That's that's the great news. Uh, TCC, absolutely great comments. Uh, some funny stuff as well in there. TCC, you always keep us on our toes. We really appreciate that. And, uh, and I think it's about that time. Yeah, let's chalk another one up. Catch you later, TCC.